we have gone through Peter, and last week we talked about the living stones that God chose. They were not formed with man's hands. They were formed by the Spirit of God in the spiritual Israel, making the spiritual house of God by which which you are because the Spirit of God dwells within you. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. We closed out last week with speaking of those people in Hosea chapter 1, I believe this is mentioned, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. We were Gentiles in the flesh without God in the world. We had not the knowledge of God. We did not worship God. We walked in the course of the prince of the power of the air, worshiping four-footed beasts and things that were overlaid with gold, things that man made and man controlled, had control over. We had no knowledge of the sovereign God who created all things with a spoken word. Does not mean we were not in the election of grace. As we explained last week, every one that knows God Everyone that will stand in heaven and immortal glory and never taste sin or death again, every one of those people were given to the Son by the Father in the covenant of grace where the Son declared that He would die to save them from their sins. Every one of them, Jew and Gentile, male and female, will stand with heaven in immortal glory, or in heaven in immortal glory. And every one of them, Jew or Gentile, was chosen in the covenant of grace for the foundation of the world. There is no other way. We proved that last week. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by Me. And then again in John 6 where He said, No man cometh unto Me except the Father which hath sent Me draw him. And again in John 6, I came down from heaven not to do Mine own will, but the will of Him that sent Me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent Me, that of all which He hath given Me I should lose nothing, but raise it up again at the last day. Gentiles chosen before the world was. Ephesians 3, Paul telling us of this mystery which has been hidden since the foundation of the world, but is now, now revealed unto us through the preaching of the gospel. We closed there last week. These people were. Gentiles taken from idolatry, from the nature of Adam and the nature of Christ and the work of God and all that He does. Everything before this comes to a point here in verse 11. Those people that had not obtained mercy, 
but now have obtained mercy. These people where He said, you are not My people, but now you are My people. It's manifested that you are My people. These people who have this great revelation, this great knowledge, this great understanding revealed to them. God the Father manifest to them through God the Son. He says, dearly beloved. He's talking primarily to Gentiles in the flesh. Those that were born outside the nation of Israel, but yet were chosen of God before the foundation of the world. But he's also talking to the remnant of the Jews, the converted Jews, those that God touched, those whom God removed the veil of the law, which blinded their eyes, that they could not see the grace of God the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said, I be your beloved. Why? Because they are sons of God. Because they are children of God. Male and female. They are God's people. Christ agreed to die for them. Christ loved them so much that He came into the world and suffered and bled and died. And they're beloved for the Father's sake. They're beloved for Christ's sake. They're beloved in the Godhead, therefore they're beloved of God's people. When God causes us to see Him, when He writes His law upon our inward parts, God puts a love within us, which is the love of Christ. There's no other way to love, for God is love. There's no other way to love. If God is not there, the only love a man has is self, love of self and love of the world. A man that loves the church, a man that loves Christ or and God, a man that loves his wife and his children in a scriptural way is born of God, okay? There's no other way to do it. That's cut, dried, simple, and plain. Depraved men in the nature of God do not love in that way. They cannot love in that way. It's not given unto them to love in that way because they are not God's people. Now he says, dearly beloved, speaking to those that God hath revealed Himself to, whether Jew or Gentile, And by the way, we're all Jew in the eyes of God because Christ is her elder brother. And He came from the tribe, sprang from the tribe of Judah. Paul writing to these people, dearly beloved, I want you to think about the truth of God who gives us love, who works His way with us and within us, and you listen to the Scripture, and you think about the things you're told and the winds of doctrine that fly through the world where man makes gods for himself that he can control, and you listen to the true love of God in Jesus Christ. He says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you. The word beseech means to beg. Do you remember Philemon, Paul beseeching that he would forgive his slave whom God had touched and was now a prophet to Paul? And by prophet, he was profiting. I don't mean a prophet as in one who foresees, but he profited the church. 
He served with Paul. He profited Paul. He said, I beseech you that you'd forgive him. I beg you that you'd forgive him. Paul speaking to these people because it is to their benefit, he begs them, first and foremost, it is to the glory of God. It is to the glory of the living Word of God. It is to the glory of Jesus Christ who was made flesh and as a man without sin took upon Himself our sin, His body becoming sin for us nailed to the cross. Obedience to God and the things He's going to tell us is for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ who loved us when by our nature we were at enmity with Him. This is for His glory. This is for the glory of God the Father. Christ is the brightness of His glory. This is for the glory of the Godhead and complete unison, complete divinity, complete wisdom, complete power which is manifested in the man Jesus Christ. But it's also Paul's begging them. Paul could command them. Paul was an apostle. Paul could command, as we hear so many do. This is not a commandment. This is a Paul is begging us to do the things he's going to mention here, to live separate from the world. He's begging us for our joy, for our benefit, for the edification of the church, which grows and edifies and builds itself up, Ephesians 4, in love. Again, God is love. And we love each other. God gives us that. And then He says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims. Now, there may have been people in this church that Peter did not know. If I've said Paul, forgive me, I mean Peter. I've been in Paul so long it sticks in my mind. There may have been people that Peter did not know. That probably certainly was the case. But these strangers and these pilgrims, you notice they're together? They're strangers and pilgrims. They're strangers because the world does not recognize them. Peter's not speaking of who he knows or does not know. They're all brethren and sisters. Therefore, they're all beloved in Christ. They're born of the Spirit of God. It's manifested in them and they're loved by other children of God. Period. But they're strangers to the world. That's where the word pilgrim comes in. They're strangers and pilgrims. Their home is not of this world. Their nature is not of Adam. Remember chapter 1. They're begotten again 
unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We are born of our parents in the flesh. That which is of the flesh is of the flesh. And we're born of God spiritually. Had no choice in either one. No work in either one. But they're born of God. They're taken from the nature of Adam and brought into the nature of Christ because they are not of this world. They are predestinated under the adoption of sons. First of all, an adoption cannot be broken. When the child goes home, it belongs to the parent or parents who adopted it. When we get home and the sons of God are manifested, when our body, spirit, and soul is reunited and we see Christ as He is, the adoption will be complete. That cannot be broken. That is our home. A child that is adopted, Robert has daughters he adopted from Asia. And even though they were from Asia and did not know them at the time, their home was here. They live here. They're married here. They live here. Their home was here. Even though as youth they had never been here until Robert and Joyce adopted them. We are adopted of God. We have never been there. But our home is in glory. And there we shall stand because an adoption cannot be broken by the law and Christ fulfills the law. Now, we're strangers. And we're pilgrims. And I could have mentioned my dear little Maggie from China. I beseech you as strangers... And pilgrims, you're not of this world. You're from heaven. Your abode is in heaven. Your home, which you've never seen, you have a taste of it, an earnest of the Holy Spirit, a down payment, the first fruit of the Spirit. You have it, therefore you have a knowledge of something you haven't seen, and you hope for it. By faith you know it's there, and you have a hope, an earnest expectation to be there. So you're strangers and pilgrims in this world. We're ambassadors to Christ while we live here. We are to represent Jesus Christ while we live here. And he says, abstain from fleshly lust. Lust of flesh, whether it is true lust of Flesh, male or female, looking at one in such a way, or that's the lust of greed. Remember, money is the root of all evil. Whether it's the lust of power or fame, every lust within the flesh. As long as we live in this body, in this world, even though we are quickened from above, even though God has quickened our spirit, our soul, it's alive, it seeks for God, it ever looks for Christ, even though 
that be our case, as long as we live in this body of flesh, we are sin. Fleshly lust. Paul said, what I would, Romans 7, that I do not. But what I would not, that I do. I desire to follow Christ. I desire to draw nigh unto God. I desire to emulate Christ, to magnify Christ in my body. Yet sin is within me. It's not I, for you hath he quickened. It's sin which dwelleth within you. I've said this before, but it's hit my mind three times, so I'm going to say it. Romans 6, Paul is speaking. He says, He that is dead is freed from sin. Now the text there is being dead to the law and in grace. But it still remains true that when we die and you rejoice for your loved ones who have gone, because when this body is laid down, they suffer sin no more. For when this sinful body is laid down, our spirit and soul is free from sin. We're strangers and pilgrims. What we strive to do, what we want to do, we cannot do fully, even though God has worked a work within us causing us to desire to walk with God in Christ, even though that sin that is within us causes us to lust after the things of the flesh and the things of the world. That's why Paul said, I see another law warring in my members. The law of sin. The law of death. Fighting against us constantly while we breathe air in this body. But he closed it all up and said, I thank God for Christ Jesus because He has saved us from our sin and our sins, period. Paul says, abstain from fleshly lust. Turn aside from the things of the world which war against the soul. My goodness. You know, you go to church on Sunday morning, God blesses us to love each other in Christ. It's so good to be here. I gloat all the way home. I gloat in Christ. I relish my Savior. I'm so happy. I'm so thankful. I've been with God's people whom I love. Had all my family together. Friday we all went down to Daddy's. It was a great time. The, the family of the flesh that we all love and most of them in the church. That was a great time. It was a wonderful time. Today is even better to me in the sense that God's people are together in fellowship, in worship of Christ. 
But when you get over that mountain and you get home and you turn on the idiot tube or you have something you see or read or hear that hits your mind and Satan starts to put things of the flesh on your mind, here's the conflict Paul speaks of. It begins to war against your soul. Laying in the bed last night, I went to bed early. I put my beans on at 10.30 and went to bed at midnight. Laying in the bed trying to pray. Trying to pray. When do we draw nigh to God? In prayer. And say it in putting thoughts on my mind that were vile. I have to stop that prayer and pray for God to help me to pray and drive this wicked from my mind, heart, and soul because it wars against the soul. It takes your peace. It tries to rob you of your fellowship with God. But Christ delivers. That's why Paul has said, I beseech you. Then he says, having your conversation, that's not just your talk, although that is an important part because the tongue is a mighty tool. Heard an instructor one time, one of the police academies said, you know, a bullet leaves the barrel, you can't bring it back, so you must be careful where you fire a weapon. And he said, the tongue also spouts things that cannot be brought back. So you must carefully control and aim that weapon of the tongue. Whether we're talking of our conversation in which we speak, or whether we're talking about our conversation of our walk in the world, it has the same meaning. Our conversation is from above because God hath worked a work in you and our conversation is from heaven. Having your conversation honest, honest among the Gentiles. We've, we've talked about this going through other writings of Paul in Ephesians for one and they also going through the book of James. We're ambassadors to Christ. We represent the Lord. When people, you better believe people watch what we do and what we say. Especially if we are known to be one who goes to worship the Lord on the Lord's day. Well, did you see that hypocrite left church and went and did this? Or he goes to church on Sunday and through the week walks like this. That's the way the world judges us. The truth of the matter is we cannot but help to sin. Romans 7, what I would, that do I not. Okay? Sin dwells in us. But we are here representing Christ. We're an ambassador to Christ. And our conversation should be honest among the Gentiles. 
They should see our walk and our talk, our conversation. They should notice that we are different. Why? You remember the last few weeks? Because God has sanctified us. God has set aside those He loves, Jew or Gentile. This was made from before the world ever was spoken into existence and God has sanctified us and set us aside. That's why we're told to come out from among them. To not walk with the world. To be separate from the thoughts and the ideas and the ways and the teachings of the world. Let our conversation be honest. Work your living. Draw your pay. Feed your family. Love your wife. That's the first institution God made. Husband, love your wives. Who did God make covenant with? It wasn't Eve, it was Adam. Husband, love your wives. The buck stops here, brethren. Taking care of wife and family and worshiping God, not just on the Lord's day, but every step we take. Having our lives, our conversation honest among the Gentiles. Those that see us from without would see our conversation, our walk, the way we talk, and know that at the very least, we are different from the rest of the world. They may not realize the reason why but at least they know that we're different. And many realize that this is the work of God. Keeping your conversation honest among the Gentiles. There's a colon. Stands alone. That, whereas they speak against you as evildoers. Oh, don't they slobber and sling their head as Biden spits out all these things they cannot do, such as child sacrifice. It's the Christian's fault that we can't do what we wish to do. They desire to conquer you, to reign over you. They speak evil against you. But by your good works by the work that God began in us, which they shall behold because we are separate from the world. And Paul is, Peter is begging us to walk separate from the world. And they shall behold this. Glorify God in the day of visitation. This can pertain to the last day if you wish to do it that way, and certainly it will because when God raises up His people and Christ separates the sheep from the goats and says to the sheep, inherit the king, come the blessing of My Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. And He tells them, because of these things you did. Why did they do these things? Because Christ was in them. And turns to the goats. Didn't say they were perfect. Didn't say they didn't sin. 
They had all sorts of sin. I got the worst sin because it's mine. It belongs to me. But God forgives His people. God loves His people. Christ blessed them. And they walk in godliness because God did that work. And He turns to those in the left and says, Depart from me, you cursed, the everlasting fire. You did not do these things. You were left in the nature of fallen Adam. There's a day of visitation when the glory of God shall be manifest for the Son of God shall appear in His glory and all the children of God will go to glory with Him. And all the wicked in the lake of fire with Satan and his angels. But that's not exactly the text spoken of here. The Lord visits His people. There was a visitation to the Jews. Christ wept and He beheld the city because they knew not the day of their visitation. That goes all the way back to Exodus 32. In the day of their visitation, I will visit their sin upon them. They were visited. They were cut off. The natural man in Israel who was in great control in the temple worship and the law of worship corrupted it. The glory of God was manifested. They were cut off and finally destroyed totally by the Roman army. God visited them. And God, for that still is not the entirety of the text, God visits His people daily. I like to use the example of an evil man who manifested the power of Satan in the cult, trying to kill and destroy what he thought in his mind were the children of God, and that was Adolf Hitler. And he ran his race with evil. And he killed and he slaughtered and he tortured and he tortured men, women, and children. And God visited him because God visits the wicked in this way that God destroyed him and every work he did temporally here in this world. And God visits His people daily. Has God not delivered you from some sorrow, from such some heartbreak, from some temptation? Has He not saved you from something and it was made to realize by the grace of God I have come from this. There's a visitation. That's a visitation from God. And when God visits His people and they're walking in obedience and they're trying to be ambassadors for Christ and even though sin is upon them as long as they live in this body of flesh and they walk and they pray and they seek Jesus, God is glorified in the day of their visitation when He visits them. Christ who loves them. Christ who died for them. Christ who carries them. 
I promise you, you can look around this world and you can see those that hate us and it's plain evident that were it not for the grace of God upon His people, we'd all be destroyed. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The law of God. When God called Moses to the mountaintop, upon Horeb, God gave him the law. God wrote them with two on two tablets of stone with his finger. Okay, that's all a type and shadow of Christ writing his law upon your heart, God writing Christ on your heart. But the fact remains God gave his law to a nation. Moses gave the law to the people. It was to govern a people by... Romans 13 tells us the powers that be are ordained of God. They beareth not the sword in vain. They are to be a terror to evil. Now, government came because man... By his being in nature, as he is evil. The first institution God created the family on day six. The second institution God created is government to reign over men. God gave the law to be enforced. God gave Moses the authority to have magistrates who would deal with the people. This nation, as I've told you many times, in the words of Patrick Henry, or pretty close to it, this nation is not founded upon religion. It is founded upon the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Our law comes from what they call Judeo-Christian law. What does that mean? Our law mirrors the law God gave to Moses to have a civil society where wicked and evil would be controlled. That's why certain peoples want to change it so much. Now... Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. The Lord setteth of kings. The Lord said, taketh down kings. Okay? That does not mean that every king that sits upon the throne is ordained of God. The power is ordained of God. Used to work with police officers said, Brethren, you are ordained of God to be a police officer. So I don't know about that. But I do know God ordained government. And God ordained law to control evil. We are to submit ourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake. What does that mean? We are to obey the law of man in a civil society. The king, what God gave him to control evil. 
whether it be to the King as supreme. In that day, every king was a monarch. Okay? We have what was called the great experiment. They're telling us today it's just an experiment. We don't have to keep it. Because we have a constitutional republic. Our king is the constitution. The words written as God had a great total hand in writing Scripture and I believe as God had a great heavy hand in the pinning of the 1611 King James Bible to give to an English-speaking people. And since all those English-speaking people came here for a place to worship God without intrusion from government, or man, I believe God's Spirit had a whole lot to do with the constitution of this republic and what it's founded upon. That's why the wicked seek to destroy it. We are to submit ourselves under the law of man, whether it be the king as supreme or under governors, under the king, such as Pilate, under Caesar, for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. Well, you know what? We're to point again, because we were in the day Judah was destroyed. We're to point again where evil is called good, and good is called evil. Do we obey that? God has set limits upon all things. Powers, principalities, powers of darkness in high places. Now you listen. You won't get mad at me, I'll take it. But I'm going to tell you, we've seen it in the world. We saw it under Hitler. We saw it under Stalin. We saw it under the one in China, whose name I cannot pronounce, in history. And history repeats itself. That's why they do not want you to know history. Millions of millions destroyed. And some man from another state says, you're supposed to be praying, Lord, save the king. We're told to give honor where honor is due. Some men, and I believe that's in part of this text, some men are worthy of honor and some are not. Now let me make this point before I move on. I'll go ahead and stick my foot in my mouth and I don't really care on this point because it angers me. When we're, people think you're supposed to... Parents obey your children. If I sent my 11-year-old daughter into white slavery, sexual exploitation, is she expected to obey me? God forbid as has been done in China, and the government mandates you cannot have but so many children, and they want to come kill your children, are we expected of God to obey that? God forbid. God forbid. Why did He tell us? He said, I'm going away. Sell your coat if you don't have a sword and buy one. 
You're going to be alone in this world. You're not here to attack people, but you're here to defend yourself. You're not supposed to. I do not believe God is sending us for to obey evil rulers and kill millions of people and do all the things that Satan manifests in governments today. We are to pray for them. And that prayer is not, Lord, bless that man that kills all them children. Lord, bless that man that hates you and wants to remove your name from this nation. We're to pray that God would cause them on some way to be a terror to evil and keep peace in the land in which we dwell. And that's the prayer that is prayed. I pray every day God put our entire government on their knees to Thee in fear and trembling and make them do what is right in Thine eyes. Now that's my prayer for government. But we're to obey the law. For so is the will of God that with well-doing, by obeying the law, by living honestly, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Foolish men, those that know not God. As free, how are we free? We're free from the law. We're free from the bondage of the law. We're free in Christ. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Christ died for our sins. Christ cleansed us from our sins in His blood. We're at liberty. We're free. What does that mean? We're at liberty from the law. We don't have to do all the things contained in the law, all the ordinances, all the feasts, all the sacrifices. We're free. We're at liberty to worship God, Jew and Gentile. That does not mean that we're free to walk to the lust of the flesh or the ways of the world around us. And when we strive to walk apart from that, God blesses us. And when we drift into that, which we all do from time to time, God spanks us on the backside. Christ delivers us. And we rejoice in His grace. As free and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but use your liberty as a servant of God to worship God and to live honest lives in this dark, sinful world separate from the people of the world as much as we can. That's why Peter said, we're told to love all men. Peter, one who is brash and impudent and worked hard for living, said, live as peaceably as you can with all men. We walk as the servants of God, seeking to be separate and walking as Christ walked in this world of darkness. Honor all men. Give honor where honor is due. What do we honor a man as? We honor him as a man or a woman. A creation of God. Something God made. This is why we don't go around, as many in the world do, killing people. 
Because we honor them as a creation that God created. Whether good or evil, I know not. I know the thief on the cross was, was, was quickened, I believe, and given the knowledge of Christ as He was at the very point of death. So I don't know who God's children are. That's not manifest to me. It's none of my business. What I am to do is honor all men. Treat all men good. Treat always be nice to people if they'll let you. Honor all men in every way and tale. But then he says, love the brotherhood. That's the church. Fear God. Reverential fear of God which comes through God revealing Himself to us. And honor the King. Okay, Honor all men as being a creature of God. Give honor to whom honor is due. Some are due more than others. Love the brotherhood, the kingdom, the church, God's people. Reverence God in a reverential fear as a creator of heaven and earth, the judge of all, and honor the King. Again, honor the office of king. It does not have to be giving special, precious honor to some vile seed of Satan sitting upon the throne. But you honor the reign of government which God created and who is to be sitting upon the throne and praying that God would cause him to reign in such a way, honoring God. And I'll give you this too, and you've seen it in history many times. Have God's children been... I'll use the word spanked. Punished. By kings. Because of their sins. You find the captivity because of the sins of Jehoiakim, king of Israel. Read and study that. He says, Servants, be subject to your masters. We went through this. Speaking of slavery, there was slavery in that day. There's still slavery in the world today. It's all condoned everywhere but in this country. I don't condone any of it. What they do here with it is make it political. I would not be a slave and I would not own another and anyone that was a slave, I'd try to help free it. That's evil. You do not have the authority to own another. I do not buy that. If we're to love and manifest love to each other, then where does that come into owning another person? It does not. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear they had. Servants, they had slaves. They're told to obey their slave masters. Christ did not free them from that. Christ freed them from the law of God. Not only to the, from the punishment of the law of God, because He bore the wrath of God for us. Not only to the good and gentle, but also to the forward. If you've got a kind master, obey Him. If you've got a master that's not kind, obey Him. 
For this is thankworthy if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. If you in, and this will go with everything we've said, child of God living in this world, I'll pertain this to all this and the slave too. If you live in a situation, and we do by living in this world, we live in a world where when we get up in the morning, when we go to bed at night, we're surrounded by evil, we suffer this evil, we strive to seek God, we try strive to assemble together as God commands us and worship God, and we suffer. We suffer temptation, we suffer heartbreak, we suffer affliction. The slave suffers from having to serve another, and we were once slaves to sin. And the slave endures it, and we endure it by the grace of God. It's thankworthy to do so. For conscience toward God, because of our love toward God, our thought, admiration, reverence, all toward God, we endure grief. Suffering wrongfully. 